Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. I'm Neil Henderson, head of Wahoo Sports Science. And I'm Matt Casson, senior sports scientist with Wahoo. Today's going to be a little different because we're going to be talking about equipment, specifically trainers. For those of you in the UK, no, we're not talking about sneakers. Instead, we're going to talk about stationary trainers for cycling indoors. Oh, and we're also going to talk about bikes that can replace your bike as a stationary trainer, too. Okay, slow down, Neil. Let's start at the beginning and then move to the present. Uh, Can we talk about the future? Doubt it. I don't think we have enough time for that right now. Gah. All right. Well, today there are many different types of trainers that are available for you to use for doing your indoor cycling workouts. We're going to break these down into the various types and categories and talk a little bit about some of the strengths and weaknesses of each of these types of trainer to some degree. We're not going to be going into the absolute physics or the electronics, the electromagnetic resistance, all those kind of things. We may mention those things very, very briefly, but we are definitely not going into the deep, dark engineering aspects of everything, right? Yeah, that's for a different podcast for other more mechanically engineer inclined hosts. Definitely. So, Neil, I would argue that the best trainer out there is one that you can use. The one you've got, and if it's working, there you go. That That is step number one. So, with that in mind, if you don't have one currently, well, then here's some ideas for you to think about when you do get out and start looking to get a trainer for you to have to use. So, there are various issues that, you know, you want to think about when you're looking at a trainer. Those range from the resistance, like what's the range of resistance that that trainer allows, how noisy is it, especially for those who live in apartments like myself, that is a very big factor. You know, comfort in the sense of, again, if it's rigid and you're not enjoying spending time on it, you're probably not going to use it a lot. So, that becomes an inefficient trainer. How easy it is to use, you know, maybe how portable it is, stuff, stuff like that. You also have some things about, are you moving or does it move easily? Not just the portability side of it, but like when you're actually riding and pedaling, does the trainer that you're on have any kind of movement or do you have to maintain your balance? So that's a great segue into the first type, which is probably one of my favorite ones as a, I have a bit of bias there for being a track rider, but rollers, which is pretty simple. It's, you got three generally traditional rollers. You've got three drums with two on your back wheel and then a, some type of a connecting cord between the front wheel and the back roller so that as you're pedaling, the front wheel moves and you have to, there's some skill involved in riding those things. You're actually riding on top of the rollers. And the best way to think about rollers is each of those rollers is like a rolling pin from your kitchen in a way. And actually old school rollers were wooden wooden rollers. And then there's just basically a frame along the outside. So you have two rollers on the back wheel, some sort of like, like Mac said, you know, I think of it as a large rubber band, really big rubber band that goes from the front rear roller all the way up to the front roller. And that allows then both of your front and rear wheels on your bicycle to be rolling as you're pedaling and you have to maintain your balance to, to go. One of the key things with that is the faster you go, the easier it is to balance, but there's also some penalty that you can achieve if you go off of the side of your rollers and you actually do crash on rollers, right? Yes, you do. Shortly before I won my first national title on the track at collegiate racing, I was warming up in like the dead center of, of everyone and someone bumped into me and I fell off the rollers in front of everyone very loud and a lot of people looking at me and that was definitely good for the ego. Got a big uh, adrenaline boost there before you started then, huh? Yeah, probably that part probably didn't hurt. But yeah, so for those rollers, they're nice because they're really simple. They're great for track because those of you don't know, track is, is fixed gear. So there's you've got one gear. If your pedals are moving, your back wheel is moving. And rollers are nice because you can literally just 
take your bike as is, get on the rollers, ride, and then as soon as you need to be done, you just you're off and ready to go. Rollers generally are fairly light. You can get different sets that maybe are a little bit heavier, and and the size of the drums or the rollers uh, do affect how much resistance you get. So a smaller drum actually gives you more resistance, whereas a larger drum size gives you a little bit less resistance. And then just like when you're outside, shifting through your gears will affect the resistance based on the, the actual speed of your wheels. Yeah. And so this actually then comes into one of the limitations with rollers in that for general rollers, there's no like smart resistance. You can There are different add-ons you can get to rollers, and some have magnetic resistance. We'll talk more about flywheels later. But, but generally, resistance is sort of the limiting factor for rollers. Like Neil was saying, the faster you go, the better balance you have, which means going really easy can be somewhat difficult. And then there's also just a limit of, again, how much resistance you can get out of them. Like the rollers I have, they really, anything above 400 watts, you have to be going, pedaling real fast in a, in yeah. a pretty big gear. Very big gear, definitely. I think one of the cool things about rollers are they've been around for a long time. So there are pictures of Major Taylor in the late 1800s riding rollers, uh, getting ready for track races in the, on the velodrome. And so to me, rollers are absolutely the classic. And I think if you are a cyclist, you should learn how to ride rollers because it will also improve your balance over time, as well as just your, your pedal stroke a little bit. It'll smooth things out. You may learn that learn a little bit how you pedal when you ride rollers that you might not feel as much when you're on some of these other trainers that we talk about. Yeah, and the the one thing, again, as the skills improve on rollers, one limitation is getting out of the saddle can be quite difficult because you need to be careful about where your center of gravity is over the wheels because you can slip backwards or forwards if you shift your weight too much. So, you know, they can be, they're comfortable because they allow you to kind of move back and forth. You have free movement, but getting out of the saddle can be tricky. Definitely. And it is a skill, you know, some people learn by putting their rollers in the, in a doorway. So you have uh, the door jams on either side of you. I know some folks who set them against a wall and then put a couch on the other side. So they kind of pull the couch away from the, the wall and put the rollers in between. That's a nice safe way. Personally, I, I got my first set of rollers when I was an undergrad after I broke my arm and I couldn't train outside and I didn't have enough money to buy some of these other kind of trainers. Rollers were the cheapest things that I could get at a used sporting goods store for, I think, 40 bucks. And uh, I learned to ride the rollers with a broken arm. Do as they say, not as I do. Yeah. We'll probably have to edit that part out. We can't be giving people bad ideas, Neil. Yeah. I'm full of bad ideas. Sorry about that. I've tried it. I've tried what doesn't work so that you don't have to do things like that. So it's pretty obvious that we're a bit biased towards rollers, but we can move on now to the next, I guess, you know, the kind of the opposite of that would be a, a stationary bike, like basically what you'd see at a spin class, right? That's its own standalone thing. It's its own bike with its own pedals. It's You're not taking that out onto the road because chances are it doesn't have two wheels. Correct. If, if you're taking it on the road, it's probably in the back of a truck um, to move it from one place to another. Generally, stationary bikes are pretty heavy, so the mobility is a little bit more tricky. Often they might have like little wheels to help you move it around in your space uh, at home or wherever it is, but it's still not very easy to move. They tend, as I mentioned, to be fairly heavy, but in that, that gives them a sturdiness and a feel that, you know, you can do like sprint efforts and things like that on a stationary bike and feel like you're not flexing your many thousand dollar carbon fiber bike or any of those kind of things when you're on a stationary bike. Yeah, there's that inherent stability there. It's generally speaking, when people have these, they, they set them up in some part of either their, my sister has one in her living room, like they just become a, a portion of, you know, the home decor. Art and furniture and exercise equipment, multiple purposes for, for a stationary bike, for sure, we see. 
And so one of the nice things about stationary bikes is, you know, it's not, you're not bringing, say, your dirty bike inside. That's a big plus. You don't, the maintenance on it is usually significantly simpler than even just a regular bike that just lives on a trainer. A lot of them are super easily adjustable for handlebar height, seat height, um, that sort of thing. So they can be shared pretty easily as long as you get some Sharpies out or something and mark everyone's respective saddle heights and setbacks. You can have two people with very different fits use the same single bike. Exactly. Just being able to make that adjustment and jump on and go is is a pretty nice selling feature of stationary bikes. And as you know, there are newer versions that are, you know, what we would consider a smart bike that we'll get into a little bit more. But, you know, it'll have all the bells and whistles and more, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So the the simplest stationary bikes are generally going to have a, a decently heavy flywheel with some sort of adjustable brake on it that'll increase resistance or if you release it, will will decreased resistance. Some of them will calculate power off of that. As you get to more expensive, fancier ones, they'll actually directly measure your power and display that. And then as Neil was saying, you can get to the what we call smart ones, which will control the resistance for you. So regardless of how fast you're pedaling, the resistance will be set by some app. Yep. Let's move into what a lot of people then consider the classic trainers. And, you know, the wheel on trainer is is the kind of trainer that most people are fairly familiar with maybe they first got started with and this is one where you keep your rear wheel on and then there's some sort of clamping mechanism typically on the rear axle and you have resistance of that rear wheel against some sort of a metal drum back there and then some additional resistance coming off of that yeah so those resistance can range from magnetic resistance is really popular and that's adjusted by moving Generally, there'll be a little lever that can move the magnets closer or further away to uh, change resistance. Some of them will have just essentially a big fan on them, so you're using air resistance. Others will have that same fan, but it's encapsulated in a thing with a bunch of fluid in it. And then again, you get the the smart trainers, and there's a few different ways that those work. But again, those are ones where the resistance can be set by an app, and it's not dependent on you shifting or pedaling fast or pedaling slower. Exactly. So the wheel on do range from fairly basic and fairly inexpensive up to, you know, fairly expensive and, and smart capable. They are the easiest, though, and it is kind of nice if you have people riding the same trainer at different times, because, uh, again, there's only one attachment for one bike at a time here, but that you have different gears. There's an advantage of having a wheel-on trainer that you don't have to worry about different cassette sizes, the number of gears, jumps between, etc. The next level, next kind of trainer we talk about has some limitations there. So yeah, so like Neil was saying, it's you can have two people with their own bikes and one trainer, and, and when one person's riding, they'll put their bike on. When they're done, they take it off. Next person comes, puts their bike on. So you don't, and you can have completely different components on those two different bikes. It really, it frees up that that aspect of it. Some things you do want to keep in mind when you're using a wheel-on trainer is that you are putting more stress on your wheel, like the wheel that you would be riding outside. And generally they do sell special turbo or trainer wheels or sorry, tires, tires yep. um, that will, you know, you won't have to bin a, a tire that you would normally use outside because you've put a, a couple hundred miles on the, on the turbo with it. Yeah. I think the, one of the worst things that had happened with a wheel on trainer was actually getting a flat during a hard effort and uh, having to stop and, you know, changing a flat because, you know, burned basically had the tire probably too high of a pressure or too much resistance going on and kaboom, blew the tube. Might've been a faulty tube, may have been poor installation, may have been a few different things. Yeah. So from a, an ease of use standpoint, they're right up there with rollers and that you can just take your existing bike as is, put it on, be good to go. You do want to be careful about putting a wheel with like 
a tire with a bunch of dirt on it because you can you're just going to cause unnecessary wear yep and a knobby tire will definitely be louder um, otherwise they're fairly quiet in most cases yeah and from a portability standpoint again they're they're pretty minimalist so they are very portable so like for me warming up for time trials or any race this is the exact type of when it wasn't track when it was on the road this is the type of trainer that i use because i can just put my bike as it's going to be raced on get some efforts in take it off good to go easy on easy off sometimes you do have to change the rear skewer though depending on what kind of skewers you use for it to be locked in there properly yeah you should always read the manufacturer stuff and not do what i did which was just destroy a number of regular skewers because i was too lazy to yeah change out yeah if, if it comes with a special skewer definitely use it and one last thing there and this applies for the next type of trainer we're talking about as well is just some manufacturers will void your frames warranty if you put it onto a trainer that's generally going away now because bikes are made better and if it does break on a trainer that's a manufacturing issue and not a, a user issue but that is just something to be aware of yep yep check your specs on your equipment so the next kind of trainer is the opposite of a wheel on it's a wheel off trainer where you remove your rear wheel and you then place your chain over basically a new a different cassette that is on that trainer and you're saving tire wear and tear. You may have a little bit more accurate power range from that because you don't have that tire to roller type of interface that can vary. And a lot of cases you have very minimal kind of slippage and issues along that. And if you flat, same thing. It doesn't matter. If you flat your front while you're riding a, a rear wheel off trainer, no problem. You can just keep going. Yeah. So with that, as Neil was saying, the slippage, when you get a wheel on trainer, you can, if you're doing a really short, sharp effort, the wheel can just spin more than the drum. And this, it's really a, not an issue with the wheel off trainers. It is nice because you can save equipment you, because you're not going to be doing as much wear. So you can have just a single cassette that lives on there. It is a bit limited if you have two different people who want to use it, but they have, say one person has 10 speed, the other has 11 speed, and the third person has 12 speed because they're fancy then you would need to theoretically change out the cassette each time. Definitely. And I think, you know, I've seen evolution over time and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old school and, and have been doing this indoor training thing for quite some time. And for many, many years, you know, CompuTrainer was the standard and that was a wheel on trainer. And uh, when Wahoo launched the kicker in 2013, it really did change things. And I went from using CompuTrainers in a studio setting to going to all kickers there. And honestly, the, 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 feeling of the resistance was a bit better again with a wheel off trainer especially when you add those smart trainer components um, the electronics and things like that it really kind of changed the way we rode indoors and made it uh, a much better experience yeah and so with with all these types of trainers you know rollers offer you the most movement these other the stationary bike the wheel on and the wheel off trainers the standard versions of all those are going to have pretty limited movement of the bike you're not going to be able to what we would call move the bike naturally underneath you when you're out riding if you're riding properly like when you're out of the saddle the bike should be moving under you and you should be fairly stationary for obviously if your bike is hooked into something you need to be moving over the bike that's stationary and there are some you know extra add-ons you can get with different trainers that allow movement there are like rocker plates you can put on underneath the trainer that allows back and forth movement some trainers like the kicker have feet on the on the edges that allow a bit more rotation there and that can really just become more than anything can come down to a comfort issue if it makes the trainer more comfortable 
you're more likely to ride it. Therefore, it's an improvement. Definitely. And you have other aspects of being able to have more of a simulation of going uphill and downhill with something like a kicker climb or the kicker bike. Some of those options where you have just that little bit of variation. You know, old school, we used to put a book, you know, a phone book actually under the front wheel to simulate going uphill on our old wheel on trainers back in the early days. So speaking of simulating going uphill, that gets into the type of resistance. So we've talked about, you know, these these different flywheels and wind resistance, magnetic resistance. You know, if you were to simulate climbing indoors now, what aspect of a trainer resistance would you look for? Yep. I'd be looking for what we would consider a low inertia trainer. And what this is generally is a lighter flywheel or lighter virtual flywheel through the electronics and electromagnet setup. And so by low inertia, what we mean here is, you know, when you spin a flywheel up, if you stop, it'll keep spinning. You can think about it as if you're riding on a downhill, you have inertia and you're going to keep going. If you're going uphill, you have very low inertia. And if you stop pedaling, you will slow down and eventually probably tip over. And the two primary things there are the mass that's moving and the speed at which that mass is moving. So if you have a very heavy flywheel, that's a lot of mass. If it's moving very fast, then you have a lot of inertia. If you have a fairly light flywheel and it's not moving as quickly, then you're going to have a low inertia situation. And so climbing tends to feel like when we go outside, it's actually more of a low inertia because we're actually not moving quickly, going fast. Well, most of us, I mean, pro tour riders, a little different. They go, they go fast uphills. But for most of us, climbing is very much a low inertia situation. Whereas when we ride on the flat, where we're going faster, then we have a bit more of that high inertia feel. And this is for those of you who, who might have a power meter and ride outside, and you might think that it's a lot harder to hold a given power on a climb compared to on the flats, um, you'd think, well, it's the same power. There's no difference here. But because of that inertia component and and how the your own inertia is going and assisting you with the pedal stroke, it is a bit different physiologically in terms of that power output, like what's actually what your legs are doing. There's less of an impact when you're going fast on a flat, because if you don't make it over that dead spot, you're still moving forward. If as soon as you back off the power at all with low inertia, like going uphill, you start to slow down. Yep. And I think this is an area where there's definitely a future for additional research to look at actually how we pedal in these different situations. And it's not like one pedal stroke to the next, but it's actually within each pedal stroke, what that impulse of force being delivered to the pedal is. And so what that is, is how high that peak of force is and how long it's maintained. The area under the curve of that is actually your your net power delivered, but you could do that if you have a low force being applied over a longer period of time, which you may be getting when you're climbing because gravity is our resistance in that situation, and it's fairly consistent, and we have a, a little bit lower cadence when we're climbing generally compared to then when we're on a, a flatter road, we might be at a higher cadence, and the resistance that we're overcoming predominantly is aerodynamic resistance. And potentially the impulse may actually have a higher peak force, but being expressed over a shorter period of time. And so the power is equal. That area under the curve could be equal between that flat and climbing situation. But exactly how we're producing that power could be different. And once we start to get some of these additional kind of within, you know, if we get 50, let's just say 100 measurements per second during a pedal stroke, uh, we may be able to see a little bit more of that in the future. So I'm excited to see how that affects what we see as a difference between flat and indoors and then the simulations of both of those situations indoors and being able to match up the feeling of the kind of ride and training that we're doing to that kind of resistance. 
So that there was a lot to take in in two minutes. I'll add that as you was talking about the the flywheel impacting that low inertia, what you can do with smart trainers is if you want to simulate climbing more is be in your a smaller gear relatively because the speed of that flywheel will be lower. So again, you can be seeing the same power if you're on your 5311 versus your 3928. You can see the same, say, 200 watts, but when you're in the, the 3928, it is a bit different, a bit more challenging. And that's specifically using erg mode on a smart trainer, correct? For that low inertia. So we have to have erg mode, which is part of the uh, aspects of smart trainers that are uh, controlling that that resistance from an electronic or electromagnetic sense. And so erg mode is one where we can give a set resistance or the trainer will give you a set resistance based on an app or some other information that it's getting and make those adjustments automatically. So you just stay in one gear and it's going to give you that set resistance, say for 200 watts. And you could be in your small gear, a 3928 on a road bike on the trainer, and it's going to give you 200 watts. And if you shift up to a a 5311, the wheel speed is going to be a lot higher, but then it's just going to adjust the resistance with the smart trainer to give it the same power, though it may feel different because of that inertia difference of the speed of the flywheel that's moving around. Yeah. And so just as a a little trainer tip for if you are riding a trainer in erg mode, this is something I do. Erg mode is nice because you don't have to shift, but just pedal and breathe, right? Pedal and breathe. I do find that it's a lot smoother. It can be more, you know, you can get more out of a workout if you have varying cadences when you do shift. Because the way I think about it is when you're in erg mode, the trainer's trying to add resistance to keep the flywheel at the same speed. So if you're going to pedal faster in the same gear, the flywheel speed is going to increase. So the resistance being given by the trainer needs to decrease. And so it takes, you know, a second for all the math and changes to happen. So, or maybe even five and 10 seconds in some cases. Yeah. So if you want it to smooth out, like shift, just like you would, if you were riding outside, you don't have to do it. I find it makes the ride significantly better, a little more enjoyable. Well, another way that you can simulate riding outdoors is, is using what we call more of a level mode or course mode if we're on a smart trainer. And it's essentially how a normal trainer works, right? Like you, you dictate what the resistance is by shifting. Kind of almost makes a smart trainer more like a kind of a, a, a static trainer. You know, I don't like calling dumb, tra- you know, trainers, dumb trainers. There's a lot of people who call them, you know, dumb trainers if they don't have all the electronics and they're not dumb, you know, they're just. They're just not dynamic and electronically controlled. But Neil, if we have smart trainers, then what would it be other than dumb trainers? Not smart trainers. Intellectually challenged trainers. No, there's not a challenge. They just don't have the same stuff that the smart trainers have. and And it's not their fault. Okay, I guess I'll let that slide. Well, that's it for another episode of the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. We hope you got some useful knowledge out of this equipment focused episode. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. 